everywhere you go, God's provision, God's protection. You never know what God's up to. God does great things with little things. God takes little things and makes them great. And if you're willing to be what God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do, I believe that God would offend you and God will protect you. Doesn't always happen on our calendar, our time frame, but God always comes through. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days, and they said by now he stinks. They'd been around dead things, and God spoke the word, and Lazarus came back to life. So God can speak life to things that are dead in your life, and God can kill things in your life that are alive that need to be killed. So he is faithful. He is a good God. If you have a weapon with you today, I'd like you to go up with me to, I want to share a few scriptures from uh, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and the 9th chapter. And uh, as I was kind of meditating on where to go last night, where to go this morning, I watched this clip seven or eight times of what happened when, when he got on the log, the computer, went, the computer went dead. And so we never could, we never saw the end of it. So Pastor Ron and I were guessing, and I guess probably his mom was behind him, and that's what, uh, that's what intimidated uh, the cougar. And the second thing I said, I want to go to Alaska and shoot that cougar. Wouldn't that be a nice mount? a full mount to shoot that. Uh, years ago, I preached an illustrated sermon and had a lion actually from Africa that somebody had harvested, and it was a full, it was a full mount. That's pretty cool, if you remember that. A couple of weeks ago, we talked a, little, talked a little bit about being better to give than to receive, and we learned that all we have belongs to God, all God has belongs to us, and we learned that God blesses us so that we can bless others. We talked about the French fries. We talked about the illustration and a lot of times in our, in our life, we begin to get what we can, sit on the can, and then just hoard the can, hide the can. When God tells us he wants us to be a river, he wants to flow things through us and to us and out of us, that God wants to use us to make a difference in others' lives. A couple of Sundays ago, I also felt like that God was sharing with me that there are some millionaires in this building. There are some people in this building that have the ability to take a small thought, a small idea, and make it great. You never know what God is up to. When you look at the life of Marie Callender, simply a little uh, 21-year-old waitress, when you look at the life of Colonel Sanders, 67, retired, worked his whole life, I believe, as a school teacher, and then began Kentucky Fried Chicken. Just a, just a thought, just an idea, just, just something that God can put in your heart, put in your spirit. But this morning, just for a few minutes, I'd like to talk a little bit about maybe not necessarily our motives but the promise that God has placed upon us every week when we come to the house of God, we are faithful with God's tithe and our offering. We know all about tithing is a command. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. The word of God says that tithing belongs to the storehouse, and we'll talk about that. Offerings are things that you do above and beyond what God requires and what God asks of. And uh, this, this morning, as we look at the word of God, it says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And where's Josh? The baby does not bother me crying at all. So you leave the, the baby's fine if the baby wants to cry. That means the baby's listening and hearing and it's probably hurting its eardrums because I'm so loud and I'm so... When I, think about, when I think about the church, I went through and found one, two, three, four, five, six other things that the church is called. And uh, Daniel was so kind this morning, bring me a cup of coffee. And I was so careless to knock it off. So I'm letting page two of my notes dry out. Hopefully we, can, hopefully we can read it. Let me try to read it right now if I can. 
in the word, it's kind of smeary and runny, so you have to bear with me, okay? In the word of God, it says, My story, I was born a poor colored child. I'm a bum. I'm a jerk. <laughs> Wasn't that a great movie? <laughs> that was such a great, that was such a great. Anyway, it will dry out and we will. I, I've, got, I've got it memorized if it doesn't dry out anyway, so we will be able to share that. But Matthew 16 and 8, the disciples are sitting around, kind of like we're sitting around this morning, and like we were yesterday eating breakfast, those of us that came for breakfast. And they're just sitting around just talking and visiting, talking about maybe some miracles they had seen or maybe a teaching that Jesus had shared. And, and Jesus asked the question, who do, men say, who do men say that I am? Well, he was the talk of the town. He, the multitudes were falling. He was, he was bigger than a rock star. He was more popular than a movie star. He was, he was the guy. He was the go-to guy. And people flooded to his ministry. At one particular occasion, there were 5,000 men, and if every man had a wife and a few kids, 15,000, 20,000 people, when he moved, they moved with him. And the Bible says that twice he fed that multitude with the boy's lunch. Just a, just a miracle worker. And so they had a lot to say about him. Well, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead, some say you're Elijah, some think you're Isaiah, one of the prophets. And then he made it more personal, and, uh, and he looked at them and said, well, who, who do you think I am? What, what, who, do you, what, who do you think I am? And he's already revealed a couple times that he was the light of the world. He's revealed a couple times that he is a teacher sent from God. So he's kind of given them uh, some adjectives that they can, uh, they can discuss and disperse among themselves. And Peter, the Bible says, at that time his name was Simon, which means hearer of the word. Uh, Simon says, thou art the Christ, the son of of the living God. And that statement obviously was God inspired. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you know, knowledge didn't give this to you. The world didn't give this to you, but my father has revealed to you who I am. That revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, upon this revelation, upon this, upon this nugget, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we are called the corporate body. We're called the church of the living God. And we know today there are probably three or 400 different churches in this Bradley County, in the surrounding counties that are gathering together as a part of a corporate body. We're not the only church. We are not the only denomination. We're not the only organization. We are part of a spirit-filled fellowship, but we're not the only, we're not the only denomination that has a light. There are Thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the earth, in the world that are gathering today in, in corporate settings, and they are the church. Paul warns in the last days, is, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, especially as you see those days approaching. I do not believe that Christian television is your church. I don't believe an online ministry is your church. I believe if you are uh, 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 incapacitated, if you are bedfast, if you are sequestered to a room and you, can't, you don't have the ability to go and be a part of the church, then television is a blessing. Uh, tapes and CDs and cassettes are a blessing. I was watching a few days ago Joseph Prince, a very uh, interesting teacher, very, very, very modern, very, very um, upkey. I like him. I, th I think he has a good word. But at the end of their program, there's a, there's a statement there that says Joseph Prince Ministries does not want your tithe. He believes the tithe goes to the local church. Your offerings support his ministry. You don't, you don't see that too often. You don't really hear that too often. And there was a season when Pastor Ron and I was traveling, and we touched the, the nation in different parts of the world. 
there would be seasons in our life when people would be blessed or healed or restored or ministered to in our ministry, and they would send us a tithe check. Not once, not twice, but several times did we return that check with an explanation of, thank you for your concern, thank you for your compassion, thank you for your desire to give, but we believe the tithe belongs to the local church. Find a church, support it. We had, we had friends in ministry that did not plug into a church for a long time. If I said a couple of those, you would know who they are. And they tied this house because they were fed. We sent them. At that time, it was cassettes, if you can remember that. Several years ago in a restaurant called um, Jenkins, uh, we were there. The church was just a few, few weeks old, and we had hosted Judy Jacobs. I don't know if, if you know a whole lot about her, but for two years, she traveled with Pastor Ron and I. We brought her in. She would sing. Uh, we would minister, and uh, we, we felt prophetically that God was removing Judy from where she was and sending her to the nation, and we shared that prophetic word, and we sowed a seed in her ministry, and from that point, she obviously uh, left that particular singing group that was promoting Lee University, traveled the world, traveled the nation, has touched TBN, has touched Daystar, and now has a fellowship here. But for a season, her ministry was tithing to our ministry because she felt like our ministry was a ministry kind of got her out of the nest, and, and, and uh, she did a double tie. She tied North Cleveland. She tied to us, and we appreciate that, and, and that was a blessing. But the Bible is very clear concerning what we are, who we are, and what we're supposed to be doing. We are called the church of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock or this revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you're going to capture a city, You're probably not going to capture the city by tunneling under the walls. You're probably not going to capture the city by climbing over the walls. You're probably going to capture a city, or if I may be a little bit more uh, precise, if you're going to break into a house or you're going to break in this church, you're probably not going to slam through that wall right there and make an opening. You're probably going to find an entrance, and you're going to see the strength of an entrance, and that's what you're going to try to kick down or that's what you're going to try to knock down, a gate or a window or a door. And the Lord said, the revelation of who he is and what we are supposed to be, that we are supposed to be so powerful in him that the gates of the enemy, the weakest defense of the enemy is open to us. The Bible says that we can go to the strong man's house, kick his door down, go inside, and take back seven times what he has taken from us. Would anybody enjoy taking back what the enemy has stolen from you? Some people have lost years. Some people have lost parents. Some people have lost spouses. Some people have lost children. The Bible talks of restoration, and God said, I will restore the years that the enemy has stolen. And I believe a lot of that restoration has to do with knowing who you are and what you are in the church of, of Jesus Christ. In John 10, 1 through 15, and 26 through 30, we are called the flock. We're called the sheep of his pastor. He is called our shepherd. Throughout the word of God, he will, he will respond as a shepherd, defending his sheep, protecting his sheep, taking care of the lambs, taking care of the goats and the wolves, and making sure that his, that his, that his flock comes no harm. The shepherd would lay down over the opening, and the, the wolf or the thief had to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep, and that's what a pastor is supposed to do. In John 15, 1 through 10, we're called a vineyard. We're called the vine. We are the branches. He is the vine. We are tapped in that vine, and we're supposed to produce fruit as a part of that vineyard. Vineyard obviously represents wine. Wine obviously represents joy. The Bible says don't drink wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we understand that we are supposed to be instruments or containers 
of God's joy, of God's blessing, and we're to be poured out to others to be a blessing in someone else's life. Let that be your motivation this week to bless at least one person beyond, beyond just, just, a, just a wild way, a wild thought, a wild idea, and bless them and bring a smile to their face and see if God gives you other opportunity. In Romans 14 and 17, the church is called the temple of God, and we are particular. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So when two or three of us gather together, there is the church, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's in the parking lot, but the Lord wants us to bring our gifts and talents to a corporate body and be a blessing. Am I touching anybody this morning yet? In Ephesians 2 and 19, little children, we're called the family. We're called the family of God and that we are members in particular. I'll I'll go on with that just a little bit. But God is raising up in the body of Christ Big brothers to those who didn't have a big brother. God's raising up spiritual fathers and mothers to those who didn't have a spiritual father and mother. God is raising up brothers and sisters. I had a younger brother I never got along with. I had an older sister that, that was uh, incapacitated her entire life. She had tubular sclerosis, and she never, she, she never matured past three months. So I really didn't have a brother and sister in my life that I was close to. But God has brought us together and allowed us to practice on one another And listen, if we can't be kind to one another, we'll never touch the world. If we can't bless one another, we'll never touch the world. If I cannot sell you a car and feel good about it, if I can't paint your house and charge you a fair price and feel good about it, we'll never bless the world. Does that make sense? We come to church to practice on one another. We come to church to pray for one another. We come to church to to, to encourage one another. We come to church to provide a covering, and as we begin to praise God horizontally and our worship begins to go up vertically, there you will find the, the emphasis of the cross and the shadow of the cross. And the shadow of the cross, we come, we bring our burdens, our hurts, and our pains, and we pray one for another because the affectionate, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you're here today not just to worship. You're here to pray for one another, encourage one another, bless one another, Say something kind. I'm not talking about, don't lie to them. I mean, don't say, hey, your hair looks better than it's ever looked before and, and it looks like they didn't, even, they didn't even wash it before they come. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say things that are true, but I try to find something nice to say about somebody. And I was doing that earlier in life. I was just trying to be nice. And one time there was a person that came in and they were quite large. And I said, you know, that person is quite large. And Rhonda looked at me and I said, but you know what? She looks good quite large. Um, some people learn how to wear it well. So you'll, you learn to say good things about people. And you say things that you mean, not things that, and I'm, you know what, let me, let me say this. I'm not encouraging you to come up and tell me it was a great sermon or a great word or you like the way I dress with that. I'm not hinting for that because I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this. I'm, everything I do, whatsoever we do, we do unto the Lord with all of our might, strength, and all of that. But it's, it's fun to go to the house of God to wear a new pair of boots and somebody notice. We had a family in our church for years and years. They, they go to another church now. But uh, very, very successful, very attractive. And for several years, she had braces. And when she came to church one Sunday morning, the first thing I noticed was, hey, you got your braces off. It looks great. And, and this, this will crack you up. Her husband didn't notice that she had lost her braces until I had said something. I am telling. And he slept on the couch that night and for several nights following. But it's important to be, to be a, a, a light in a dark place. It's important to be a breath of fresh air to somebody. The old cliche, when he came, there was only darkness, but when he left, there was only light, that you would be that, that taste of sunshine, that breath of fresh air, that God gives you a smile. It's less effort to smile than it is to frown, and your smile can bless somebody. So if you brush your teeth, turn to somebody and give them a big old smile, 
and let them know they're in the right place this morning. Ephesians 2 and 20, the church is called a building. We're called a building. He said, upon this rock, upon this foundation, I will build my church. We're called, we're called a building. And in, and in Ephesians 5 and 22, most of you know that we are called the bride of Christ. Now, these are all metaphors. As, as the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, we know that he is the head, and we are members in particular. And as the body of Christ, we are to walk in unity and harmony. The word says that the hand cannot say to the foot, you're not important, you're not necessary, we don't need you. And the hand can't say, I don't want to be the hand anymore. I want to be something else. We are members in particular, and everything that God puts in the body except the gallbladder and tonsils, I think those are two things that we can live without. I don't have my gallbladder. I still have my tonsils. But when God, when God brought us together, he brought us because every one of us are supposed to fit not in, but together. My parents are jigsaw puzzle gurus. I mean, there's, uh, you cannot find a jigsaw puzzle hard enough. They're working on a thousand-piece puzzle right now that to look at it, it, it looks like a bad drug trip. It just looks like confusion. It's, it's all, and, and, and this, this puzzle got them a little, they got a, a win in last night to check on them, and they were both feverishly working on it. And I think the 20 minutes I was there, they actually found two pieces of the thousand-piece puzzle. They got the border. I can't even get the border right. I, my, I just take a pocket knife and make them fit. If they don't fit, and I just cut them and gouge them. God did not bring you to the house of God to cut you and gouge you. God brought you that you represent the entire picture, and your part is important. Whatever, whatever part you are, God puts you in the body because you are needed to be in the body. When we talk about this, this metaphor, that, uh, this metamorphosis, that this ugly grub uh, builds a cocoon, and there's a crushing and a, a transformation, and, and when, the, when the cocoon bursts open, the beautiful butterfly, we are all in the process of becoming the church. We're all in the process of becoming the flock. We're all in the process of becoming the vineyard. We haven't arrived yet, but we're trying to be the temple. We're trying to be the family. We're trying to be a building. We're trying to be a bride. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we're trying to be the body of Christ, to fit together, to work together, to do what God has called us to do. There, there's a difference between a paradox and a metaphor, or let me, phrase, let me phrase that. There's a difference between a oxymoron and a paradox, and we'll talk about a paradox in a minute, but just for the fun of it, I wrote down the 10 most uh, uh, popular oxymorons. Are you ready? Government organization. Same difference. Tape live. Tape live. Plastic glasses, peace force, pretty ugly, headbutt, working vacation, here's one, jumbo shrimp, extra virgin oil, extra virgin oil, tax return, bittersweet, and my own, President Obama. Now, but this is the second page of my message, and I believe it's dried out enough for me to, to look at it. The difference between an oxymoron and a paradox is that in 2 Corinthians 9, the word says that though Jesus was rich, he became poor, so the, we that were poor could become rich. Let me share some paradoxes with you. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 39, to find, you must first lose. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 3, to become rich, you must first become poor. 
In Luke 17 and 33, he said, first of all, to, in order to live, you must first die. In Matthew 19 and 30, he says, in order for you to be the first, it's important that you first become the last. And one that I added, the Psalms and Proverbs all seem to support, in order for you to be blessed, you have to bless. In order for you to reap, you have to sow. There has to be a process that you pour out, that you involve yourself, your time, your talent, your money, all those things that God has blessed you with. And I, I want to share, if I may, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. And I just want to just read maybe the first five verses. This is Paul bragging on a church in a community that was not very wealthy. This is Paul bragging on a church that, that they didn't really have a, a lot extra, that have a lot in abundance. But notice the attitude of this church. Moreover, brethren, we make known as you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that it's a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we'd receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to them to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that he had begun that he would complete the grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, watch this, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, that you may abound in this grace also. May I tell you, you cannot put a price tag on grace. God's grace is allowing you to receive something that you don't deserve, you can't earn, you'll never be able to pay for it. It's not a cheap gift. It's not, a, it's not an expensive gift. It costs God everything to give us his son. And what is so crazy, God gave, him, God gave his son to us, and then Jesus gave to the church five gifts. If you have a hand, I want you to hold it up. A real quick lesson concerning the five gifts of the church. These are ministries that God raises up to bless the church. The first gift I want to talk about, which is the strongest finger on your hand, and that's your thumb. And all of these, all of these gifts are going to begin with the letter G. One of my mentors several years ago, Dr. Mark, Mark Hamby, went to the trouble in a restaurant to draw my hand and then to teach me this lesson. I'm going to give it to you this morning. The strongest finger on your hand, which is your thumb, represents the gift of the apostle, and the purpose of the apostle is to establish government. There, this church has an apostolic covering. We're under the apostolic ship of Billy Burke, of Marcus Lamb. There are other voices that have spoken our life, and they're the ones that we, we patterned ourselves after their government, after their doctrine, after their faith, according to the word of God. So the first gift God has given you is the gift of an apostle. And because this church has raised up churches, because this church has raised up, I think there are 57 full-time ministries that are operating right now somewhere in the nation or the world that were raised in this house that gives us an apostolic covering. This church is an apostolic covering to ministry. The second finger on your hand is the finger you point with, and that finger represents the ministry of the prophet, and the prophet ministry is to bring guidance to a body. When we were very young, there was a prophetic word that said that we would minister to the speckled and the spotted. There's nothing wrong with the speckled and spotted. They were just different. God gave us the word whosoever. God told us that we would minister to whosoever came into the house of God, that we would not stand on a box and point our finger 
and preach against abortion, preach against drugs, preach against, we would not, we would not do that. But if they came and asked for help, then we would be there to help them and we would be there to bless them. God showed me a long time ago, the house of God is also a hospital. And there's only two types of people in a hospital, doctors and nurses that minister and, 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 and patients that need to be blessed, patients that need to be helped. Something I've learned about a hospital and I, and I can relate. When I'm sick and I wanna to go to the emergency room, I don't care if my hair's combed. I don't care if I have holes in my jeans. I don't care if I've been working all day and I got grease and I got perspiration. You don't care what you look like when you go to the emergency room. And you know what is so cool? The doctors and nurses don't care what you look like either. They respond, they minister, they pour out, they give the gift that God has placed in them. And we have had people in our, in our life, in our ministry, that made the, made the statement, we don't want to go to a hospital church. We want to go to a prestigious church. We want to go to a church of wealth. We want to go to a church of, of people where there's mayors and, 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 and senators and all of that. And that's all great. But Jesus didn't come for, this, for, the, for the healthy. He came for the sick. I'm telling you, if Jesus passed a church, it would probably be the greasiest, grimiest, dirtiest, ugliest one day. And the next day, the transformation was power. They would all be what he has called them to be. How cool is that? So God, God called this church prophetically that these are some of the things that we would do. There's a prophetic word that said we would touch the world. We never had any intentions of touching the world. But when Daystar pur purchased and produced the very first TV station in Israel, there's only one full-time television station, the very first sermon that was preached to Israel on Christian television through Daystar was Pastor Rhonda preaching on the power of the cord, the, the blood. You remember that sermon? That was the first sermon that Israel heard through Daystar. I think you give yourself a hand that you sent your pastors to touch and to bless the world. I mean, how cool. And God gets all the glory and doing stuff like that just opens up targets that people try to beat us up and hurt us. Sometimes it's not fun to be popular. It's not, it's not cool to be important. It's not great to be wonderful because people take cheap shots all the time. And that's, I guess, some of the price that goes with it. We watched this beautiful video last night and there were like 81,000 likes and there were seven dislikes. I'm thinking, who could have possibly disliked this? But that's, that's the way people are. Some people, the cup's always going to be half empty, no matter what you do, how you encourage them, how to bless them. That's just going to be their observation. The third finger on your hand, and I'll be careful here, is the longest finger on your hand, and that is the ministry of the evangelist. The apostle governs, the prophet guides, the evangelist gathers. There are people in my life that are, that are natural-born evangelists. No matter where they're at, they're going to win somebody to the Lord. They're going to lead somebody to the Lord. I got to reflecting on a, a friend that was raised up in this house and, and, and was ministering in this house. He's now touching the jails in Bradley County. This guy is six foot eight, weighs 380 pounds, and everywhere he goes, he wins somebody to the Lord. I wonder why. John Mazel is one of the most soul-winningest people I've ever met. We used to have a girl in our church. No matter where she went, she led somebody to the Lord. She's away from God today because the enemy recognized that gift and has tried his best to separate her because he sees her effectiveness more than she sees it. And that's the importance of the body to be able to minister to one another. But the evangelist gathers. He reaches out and brings the flock into the kingdom of God. The weakest finger on your hand is a, is a finger that represents your pastor. And all the pastor is supposed to do is to guard. He's supposed to watch over the flock to make sure that there are no goats, make sure that there are no wolves, 
And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a goat and a sheep until you, can, until you correct them. In that, in that while, when you correct a sheep, they go bad, but they go ahead and go along with the correction. You correct a goat, they say, nah, I'm going somewhere else. Is that cool? I mean, God, show, God, God just taught me that when you, when you hang around sheep, if you whack them with the head of the shovel, they go bad. But if you whack a goat, goat says, I'm not sticking around. I'm out of here. And a pastor's got to have discernment to know what's a sheep and what's a goat. And there have been seasons in my life when I have gone to people in this flock and said, you're not welcome here. Really? Oh, yeah. You've hit on every one of our single girls. You're messing with their minds. You're telling them all you love them. Go find them. Yeah, I, I did that. Now, would I do that now? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. If I thought you were in danger, I thought there was something in life that could hurt and harm you, absolutely. That's what a pastor does. He guards. And to find the weakest finger on your hand is the only finger that has a vein that ties directly into your heart. And that's the finger you put the ring on when you make a commitment to life in marriage. The smallest finger on your, on your hand is a, is a finger that you get the wax out of your ears, and that's the finger that represents the teacher. And what the teacher does is ground, brings grounding to the Word of God, stability to the Word of God. Uh, a teacher will teach, and you will under, things will be revealed, and you'll understand, and you'll see that most things that God says is backed up by two or three statements somewhere in the Word of God. And the Bible said, let every truth have a foundation of at least two or three. The Bible says two or three gathered his name. There's something about the power of unity and the power of agreement. There's seven notes here that I want. If you're, if you're taking notes, you might want to write these things down. When you think about God giving his son, and then you think about Jesus giving the church the, 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 five, uh, the five gifts, the Holy Spirit has given the church nine gifts. We can't talk about those, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the word of knowledge, discernment, those nine gifts. So it's funny, it seems like all God ever does and all Jesus ever does and all the Holy Spirit ever does is give because it's more blessed to give than to receive. I taught you two weeks ago, there's two types of people in life. There are givers and then there are takers. There are people that sow radically and then there's people that hoard their seed, eat their seed. And the word says the liberal soul shall be made fat. It's the one that their generosity, that, that, they're, that they're excited to give. The Bible says the Lord loves a chill forgiver. Don't give grudgingly or don't give because you feel manipulated or you feel whatever. I had someone come to me and they were getting a, a newsletter from a particular minister that, that we know, that we have met. And, it, and, it, and this particular newsletter kind of inferred that there were souls dying and going to hell because they weren't sending their $19.95 every month. You know, that's a ministry that I have a tough time supporting. I, I, I feel like that's, kind of, that's the kind of ministry that's kind of threatening me that, that I'm not doing what, if I don't do this, you, you, know, you shouldn't ever feel coerced. You shouldn't ever feel manipulated. You shouldn't ever feel, you should, you should feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. I believe the devil doesn't want you to give, you, give a dime. So if the Lord impresses in your heart and spirit what to give, I believe you can follow that unction, and I believe that God will follow up and he will bless. Let the church say amen. amen. This is my personal opinion. Seven opinions I want to share with you. This is my personal opinion. I personally believe that every believer has a gift. And so I am, as a spirit of encouragement, I am to encourage you to operate in your gift. Your gift might be one of administration. Your gift might be one of singing. Your gift might be one of intercessory prayer. You may have the gift of faith. I mean, you pray for anybody. You may have the gift of healing. You may have the gift of greeting. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell with the wealthy. He said, better is one day in your court 
than a thousand, that's three years elsewhere. Better one day in your court. So maybe your only gift is to smile, shake somebody's hand. Maybe your gift is to see something needs to be done, see a trash can that needs to be emptied or a window pane that needs to be cleaned. Or maybe your gift is to find, see a family in need and slip them a $20 bill. But I personally believe that every single person in, this, in the sound of my voice, listening by podcast, watching by DVD, I believe you have a gift. And I'm here to encourage you to find your gift and to use your gift. The second thing that I personally believe is that no one has all the gifts, so we need to stay humble. I spoke at a sports banquet several years ago and had three points. The first point was that talent is God-given. Be grateful. Praise is man-given. Be gracious. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. Just because we operate in the word of knowledge or we have a spiritual dream or just because we operate in, a, in the gift of tongues interpretation or the gift of healing, gift of faith, the word, the word tells us that no one has all the gifts. So whatever gift you operate in, always stay humble. I'm talking to somebody in this room today that needs to realize when Jesus looked at Peter and said, no longer is your name here the word, your name now is you're a part of the rock, Petra. And upon this rock, Petrus, I will build my church. What a great revelation. What a great gift Peter discerned from God. And Jesus told him, flesh and blood didn't tell you this, but my father in heaven. So Peter got all excited hearing from his father in heaven. Then Jesus, right after he declares that the rock is going to be built, the church is going to be built. Then he tells his disciples, guys, I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to die. Peter rebukes Jesus, grabs a hold of him and rebukes him and said, no, you're not. We're not going to talk that talk. That's not going to happen. Peter looks, Jesus looks beyond Peter at the manipulator of this conversation, sees the devil. Peter can't see him. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. So don't, so be careful that you don't allow your spiritual gift to blow you up to such a place that opens the door for the enemy through conceit and pride to speak a word through you, because that's exactly how he operates is in conceit and pride manipulation. I'm teaching better than you're nodding, but that's okay. Third thing that I personally believe, I believe that all gifts are for the body. Therefore, we are to be harmonious in our, in our, in our, in our, in our worship, in our ministry, in our flow. I believe God gives one the gift of playing the guitar. God gives one the gift of playing the bass. God gives one the gift of psalmist. And I believe as we all work together, as we all operate together, I believe we're going to be the favor and the blessing of the Lord. Uh, the fourth thing that I want you to know is that all gifts are from the Lord, so be content with the gift that you have. Several years ago, family came to us, very unhappy, felt like, the, the, the wife, the mom, felt like that she was supposed to sing on the praise and worship team. And I want to be as careful as I can, but this is pretty much the way she talked and sounded. And you know what? Her gift later became a co-pastor, later become involved in some incredible drug rehab ministry, her gift was not singing. Her gift was administration, pastoral, but she was frustrated because she wasn't content with her gift. Be content with the gift that God has given you. If you're trying to figure out who that is, you won't. I promise you, you won't. Uh, the fifth thing that I want you to know is that all gifts, say all gifts are helpful, so be faithful. 
Be faithful in the gift that God has given you. If the only gift you have is mowing the lawn, this lawn should be the best-looking lawn in the nation. If your gift is the gift of a plumber, then there should be a toilet in this building that leaks. Am I, am I talking to anybody today? Be faithful in the gifting that God has given you. Don't, don't go looking somewhere else for another gift or another talent. Use the one that God has given you, and that can, that can generate into another gift, a double anointing God promises and God, God prophesies. The sixth thing about your gift, the gift that God gives you is to promote the health of the body. Therefore, none, none can be dis, dispensed. What does that mean? It means your gift is important for us to be whole, for us to be the body that we're supposed to be, for us to be whole, your gift is important. I think I, I hit on that pretty good. But if you're the hand, be the hand. If you're the foot, be the foot. If you're the nose hair, be the nose hair and filter out the dust so we don't catch a cold. Hello, there's a reason for every single part of the body of Christ. And, and the seventh thing that I got this, I believe, last Wednesday night through the teaching of John Bevere, is that all gifts depend on the Holy Ghost's empowerment so none should be out of fellowship with him. All gifts depend upon the Holy Spirit empowerment, so we need to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're having these classes on Wednesday night. And if you miss any of the teaching, we can set the teaching up 5.30 Wednesday night before church. You can come and catch up. We, we could probably do that, could be Pastor Rhonda. So if you've got a, one of the teaching or you missed one or two, we'll, we'll make opportunity for there to be a screen, for there to be a, a DVD, and you can stay caught up, because I believe it's powerful that you know what the... Holy Spirit has to say. And that's the page that didn't get wet, so thank God for that. If you go with me to, um, are you still there, 2 Corinthians? Look at, nine, look, look at chapter 9 just for a minute. Now, encouraging the minister to the saints, it is superficial for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I hear, which I boast to you to the Macedonians. And Achaia was ready, was ready a year ago. And your zeal has stirred up the majority. Watch that. One person's zeal can stir up two or three. There's just something about an hilarious giver. There's just something about a generous giver. There's just something about somebody flowing in what God has called them to flow in. Yet I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Kind of a little spiritual psychology that Apostle Paul uses there. He said, I bragged on you, I bragged on your generosity, and before we come and get the gift, we're going to send the brethren to encourage you to give, so that way we won't be embarrassed when you don't give what we feel like you should give. How wild is that? Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, be ready to matter generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now watch the, watch the key word here. Key word here. I'm going to send the brethren to remind you of the vow you've already made concerning your giving. Not once this month, but twice this month, I've talked with two different people that were in a lot of trouble. Bad, bad, bad trouble. Prison Several years prison trouble. This child was raised up in this church. Parents, major part, quit going to church a long time ago. Kids with two or three different dads got some serious, serious bad trouble. 
And so we begin to counsel, we begin to pray, we begin to support, we begin to Facebook, we begin to text. After about a two-year window, all the charges were miraculously, all of them were miraculously dropped. You would think that after God interceding, that the vow that she made to God, she would follow up on. I ran into her at a funeral, and, and you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty blunt. I had about three cups of coffee driving there. Got lost, had another cup of coffee before I got there. And when I saw her, I said, listen, I said, do you remember all the promises you made to God if he gets you out of this mess? Remember all the promises you made to God if he'll turn this around for you? Do you remember, the, remember what you said to me, what you said to your dad, what you said to your step? Do you remember all the promises? I said, you need to keep those promises because it was God that shut this door it was God that set you free. It's God that wiped the slate king. And if he would do this for you when you're not serving him, just think how much more he can do for you when you're where you need to be and where you, you're, you're doing what you need to be doing. Uh, the, other, the other scenario was another a vow that somebody had made in my presence, and they told me they would do this if this happened, and that happened, and they didn't do it. And I just remind them, the Bible says it's better never to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. So if, if you're promising God something and God does it, it's not that God's going to yank it back from you. It's not that God's going to take it away from you, but it might lose the effectiveness of the next time you make a vow to God. Does that make sense? I have, I have renters that tell me, hey, I'll, I'll be there Friday and I'll, I'll pay this. And, and Friday comes, Saturday comes, Sunday comes, Monday comes. And finally, my, my attitude to the, to the renter, you know, rental is all based upon int integrity and trust. And if you don't do what you say you're going to do, and I can't trust you, I can't rent to you. Am I helping anybody in the building? There's something about, and we get caught up sometimes in the excitement. I remember Pastor Ron and I went to Tommy Barnett's church. It was incredible, phenomenal. And uh, everybody was pledging, and some guy got up and said, I think there's 100 people going to give $1,000. And I thought that was a great idea. And I went to stand up. Pastor Ron pulled me down and said, we don't have $1,000. We don't have it. But, man, I got excited. Man, I was I was pumped up. I remember when John Jacobs was here, and he was bench pressing all that weight and everything. They actually were going to do the nail thing and lay me down on the bed of nails, and then the guy was going to lay and do a bench press and, and lay, and lay and my body was going to be on the nails. And I was all for it. I mean, absolutely, I'll lay on the nails. Well, Pastor Rhonda found out what we are doing. She goes, you ain't going to lay down on those nails. It ain't going to happen. It's easy sometimes to get pumped up in the moment and, and respond and, and sometimes there are times when I will go to a meeting or go to a revival and give like the gas money or give the, I mean, I literally have gone to meetings and given, and I forgot I didn't have gas in the car. So then I, outside, on the way out, I'll try to find somebody. Yeah, I, I remember you. Hey, can you owe me $20 until Monday? I broke, I don't have gas, I don't have gas money. Then sometimes you just blind fade, just lay your hand on that, on that dad. His father, you know, I, I gave willingly. I, I, I got carried away. I need, you to, I need you to get me home. I, and you know what? He doesn't do it every time, but every once in a while, he'll let that gas just get you about 40, 50 miles to a gallon. So be, don't, don't give out of coercion. Don't give out of manipulation. Don't give out of grudgingly. But let it be happy. Let it be cheerful. Let it be, let it be, let it be a blessing. I learned very, very early uh, the lesson of tithing. And, of course, most of you know I was born quite young. And... Uh, I was born quite young. And uh, um, if, you were, if you were to take my parents' checkbook, there were 
we had church four times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and Friday night was called YPE, which means Young People Endeavor, but it had nothing to do with youth. It was just another chance for dad to preach. So if you were to look at my parents' checkbook, out of every, every check they wrote for subsistence, they wrote four checks to the church. I learned very early in life to never go to the house of God without an offering. I was raised in a day before permanent press, and because dad was one of those preachers that, that used his handkerchief, mom would wash several handkerchiefs, and mom was, she was a neat freak, and so mom would pay me a penny to iron a handkerchief and pay me a, a nickel or a dime to iron a pillowcase. Well, I like the handkerchiefs a lot better. It's faster, you blow them out. But every Saturday night, uh, every once in a while, we were allowed to watch Bewitched, and that was in black and white, and so I would iron stuff while I'm watching Bewitched, and then that night, not, not the next day, that night, I added up all the handkerchiefs, I added up all of the pillowcases, and I wanted to be paid right then, right there on the spot. I, I did the work, I want to be paid. And so mom, so you know, it might be a dollar eighty, it might be two dollars and thirty cents, but the next Sunday, and I know I drove ushers, I know ushers are probably so frustrated when they got my tithe envelope because I would have eleven cents tithe and five cents offering. And I I and that was that I was very probably about seven or eight or nine years old. And my whole life, I learned that there's something powerful about the ability to tithe. There's a, there's a door there that God has opened, that God has blessed. When you do what God tells you to do, then you have the ability to lean on God and remind him of the things he promised that he would do for you. Am I helping anybody in the building? There are a couple of times when sometimes things very, very humorous. Uh, for example, uh, we, had a, we had a pup, we had a Dalmatian puppy, and we named him Happy. He was, a, he was the happiest dog, but he was stupid. I mean, he was, if you would take him out in the woods, if there was a log, instead of stepping over the log, he'd go around the log. I mean, he was a very stupid dog, but we loved him. And we felt like, we felt like he was lonely, so we got him married. We got him a bride, and uh, he married Bless. We call, her, we, call, we call her Bless because he was happy that she was blessed. Somehow it all worked out. Anyway, we had no intention. We had no intentions of raising puppies. We had no, we didn't buy them to breed them. We bought them because they were cool dogs and they were, they were a lot of fun and they were, they were great dogs. I don't remember how old Courtney was, and, but they, they were great dogs. And so all of a sudden they, you know, they do the husband and wife thing and have like 10 puppies. And so we had a friend that told us that they would sell those puppies for us for $150 a puppy. We had exactly 10 litters. And what was so funny about the time we started breeding Dalmatians was when the big Disney movie came out, 101 Dalmatians, we, didn't have, we had exactly 100 Dalmatians, exactly 100. And of every litter, and it was, we had 10 pups every litter. They said, that's, that's crazy, that's unheard of. They usually five or six or seven or eight, but we tied the $150 to my pastor who had moved from Yakima, Washington to here, and we tied to him on every litter of puppies we tied on him and had exactly 100 puppies and we went and bought a brand new jet ski with the, with the money that we received from the puppies. How cool was that? Then we decided that the dogs were like too big. So we, we, we found them a great home where they, where they ran wild the woods and forests and, until they went to wherever dogs go. And uh, so we decided we had, a, we had a young man move in with us that I mentored. He is now pastoring a church in Florida. And about the first week that he was with us, we went to Chattanooga Pet Store and we paid... At that time, it was like a chunk of money, like $300 for a Maltese puppy. And so we had a Maltese puppy. We called him Tickles. He was a great dog. 
And, uh, but, he was, but he was lonely. So we bought him a wife, and his wife's name was Sugar. And so, so Tickles enjoyed Sugar, and Sugar enjoyed Tickles. We had five litters. Okay, I, I'm not exaggerating. Most dog breeders will tell you that if you, if you breed Maltese, you have one or two. We had four to five pups almost every litter, didn't we? Except the last one, except Hopi. And, we had, and so, so we had all these pups. So we tied on all these pups. And then I went, I went and did the math. I mean, one or two pups was like, two, how much were they, Debbie? $250 a piece? That we sold them for quite a bit, wasn't it? $250. So we sold the pups for $250. But instead of making $500 a litter, we made $1,000 a litter. You say, that's silly. No, that's the power of tithing. That's the miracle of tithing. That's, that's the daring God. He said, prove me. Prove me. Now I hear with it. See if I open you the store windows of heaven. In the Old Testament, a lot of people say, well, I don't like the Old Testament because this is the New Testament and all of that. Go to Malachi real quick with me for about two, two minutes. You know what? Let's, let's hold off of Malachi and let me just, just make something obvious to you. My grandpa um, uh, died very successful. And, of course, he took with him exactly what he brought. Nothing. But uh, my, grand, my grandfather was one of the number one givers in the church. When, uh, when we go to church and pastor would take up an offering, and the pastor said, I need 20 people to give, my grandpa was always the first one to give. My, my, grand, my grandparents owned a home in Southern California that when the market was right, I think they sold it for like three or $400,000, and they moved to a little community in, in Oklahoma, paid cash for the home, paid cash for the truck, and everybody in this little community thought that my grandparents were wealthy. They weren't wealthy. They were just very wise with how they managed their money. And this is what my grandpa taught me uh, when, when I lived with them for a couple of years. My grandpa taught me. He said, he said, Hank, if you'll give God a dime of every dollar, if you'll save a dime of every dollar, and you give the church a dime of every dollar, you will be able to do everything you want to do on the 70%. And we have tried to, we've tried to, that's how we've tried to operate our life. Uh, we're not doing so good with the savings thing, but we're doing pretty good with the tithe and the offering. That savings thing, that's tough. I got a little money in the bank, I want to go buy stuff. Can anybody relate? We can't let that money sit there and get molded. We didn't go spend it. No, we really do need to save it. But God, God has been faithful. God has always been faithful. But there's just, there's just something about being faithful to God and knowing that you have God to depend upon when you get yourself in a tight place. Well, I won't be able to preach it this morning because I had to set up. Let me talk just a, bit, a little bit, if I may, of the, genera- the generosity of God's favor upon his children. When God calls you into ministry, and we all have one. Well, every one of us have a ministry. When God calls you into ministry, you receive the anointing of the Levite. Jacob had 12 sons. When they went back to Israel and God gave Jacob's 12 sons the land, God gave 11 of the sons a chunk of land, a chunk of cattle, a chunk of prosperity. 11 sons. The 12th son, Levi, I think which is like the third, old, third, third from the oldest, when Levi was born, God told Levi, you're not going to inherit any land, you're not going to inherit any cattle, you're not going to inherit any sheep, because I'm going to be your part, and I'm going to be your portion. 
So Levi, all of Levi's brothers, the Bible tells you in Genesis 50 what part of Israel they were given. But Levi was not given any land. He wasn't given any cattle, any sheep, because God told Levi, I want to establish the process of tithing, and all I want you to do is minister to your brethren. That's all I want you to do is minister to your brethren. Now, everybody has a ministry, right? Everybody has, has a brother or sister they can minister to. All I want you to do is minister to your brethren. So here's what the law that God established. He said, Levi, I'm going to have all of your brothers bring a tenth of their wealth every week to support your ministry. Now, I don't hear any shouts, cheers, hollers, but you are of the Levite house. You're of the Levite generation. So what does that mean? Okay, help me do the math, if you will. If you take the tithe and multiply it by 10, you have 100, right? So if 10 brothers gave him a 10, then he received everything his brethren had. Did he not? Except for there was one more part. That's the 11th part. That's the favor of God. That's the blessings of God. That's the generosity of God on those that have that attitude of a cheerful giver, hilarious giver, one that loves to be a part of the family, one that's faithful in God's tithe and God's offering. Tithe opens the window, offering determines what pours out the window. And so now you've learned why we give in the house of God. The reason we bring it to the storehouse is God said, I want there to be meat in my house. You know what the uh, brethren told all the deacons? We're spending all of our time feeding the orphans and the widows. We're going to raise up deacon ministry, and they're going to feed the orphans and the widows, and we're going to spend our time studying and preparing the Word of God so that when we preach, we have not milk because God put teeth in your mouth to eat meat. We're going to give you a meat ministry. Does that help anybody? The second thing that God said that I will do in the house of God is that I'll allow your tithe to take care of the expenses. Do you enjoy, do you enjoy electricity? Do you enjoy running water? Do you enjoy all the sound equipment, all the stuff like that? That's what your tithe dollar does. God said, I'll take a portion of your tithe and I'll use it for ministry. As most of you know, and you know, it's, 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 no, it's, no, big, it's no big deal to us that we're on television. That really is not, that really is not a big deal. It's just a door that God opened, but not this Friday, but last Friday, I went to collect rent from a family that has moved here from Minnesota or someplace, and he was actually involved in ministry, and his wife usually comes out in the front step to pay the rent, but two, two Fridays ago, he came out in the front steps, and he says, I've got to tell you something. He said, I was flipping through the channels the other day, and I just happened to stop on a program called Celebration, and there, this guy, Marcus, and his wife, Joni, we're talking about the greatest miracle of restoration they'd ever heard, and they said that miracle was the ministry of Hank and Rhonda in Cleveland, Tennessee. He said, are you, are you those, are you those? I said, yeah, we are. I said, uh, she ran off, came crawling back, and I accepted her back, and that was pretty much how that, how that played out. It's, it's, no, it's no big deal that we travel the world. We travel, that's not really a big, I did it for eight years, I love it, but that's not a really big deal. The big deal is that this house, allows us to do what God has called us to do. Whether we're gone on Sunday, whether we're on the road, we take somebody with us. Your tithe dollar allows things to continue to flow. Whether we are or not here, our attendance does not affect your giving, your faith, and what you commit to God, whether we're here or not. And I compliment a church that does that. Another part of your tithe is for missions. And we know we support missionaries. They travel the world. 
We have home missions of food pantry and clothes. And as Pastor Ron shared Wednesday night, there has never been a family that's ever stopped at this church and asked for food that we didn't get them food or money. Not one time. In 23 years, not one time have we ever turned it away. And that's why Wednesday night we couldn't turn, we just couldn't turn away. His little mom, her grandma, two beautiful little children. And obviously they didn't have any food. Obviously they didn't have anything. And we couldn't let them go. So I think they actually left with $60. And I really believe they went to spend it on groceries. I don't believe they went to spend on drugs or alcohol. I really believe there was a need there and we met it. But your tithe dollar allows us to do that. And, the, and the, we talk about the, 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 food, the, the closed closet. We talk about prison ministry. Many of you may or may not be aware, but there are three in our life that are incarcerated. One is possibly incarcerated for life. And just, just desperation, just, 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 just pain, just agony. Two or three times a week, he will call me, collect. And uh, we spend about $100, $150 a month on our phone bill. This church allows us to do that. So watch this. Jesus said, I was hungry, you fed me. We have groceries. I was naked, you clothed me. We have clothes pantry. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. And I visit, I visit prison almost every day of my life to collect phone call. That's what your tithe dollar allows you to do. I think before you give yourself a hand, the tithe dollar also allows us to, to bless guests. We'll have Billy Burke from time to time. We've had several ministries the past 23 years, and we're able to fly them in, bless them, and let them leave with a good honorarium to, to allow them to do what they continue to do for the glory of God. I know some of this sounds boring, but I believe it's important that you know what a difference that you're making in the lives of others. Bottom line, and the bottom line is never wrote the bottom line. For God so loved the world that he gave. So our, our mentor, our teacher, is a giver. And as we learn to be generous as he is generous, so has God blessed us and God touched us. I want to do something a little different today. Uh, Josh, if you'll, if, or Chris, if you'll come, if you'll come, can you still play Desperado? No? Okay. Did not Chris rock today on those Chris and Josh and Tanner? That was about three dog night. There were three of them, three dog night. I want to do something a little different this morning. I'd like for you to take something out of your pocket or wallet or purse that represents you, something that represents you. It could be a car key, it could be a checkbook, it could be a wallet, it could be a breath mint. But I want you to actually take something tangible and hold it in your hand. Might be a comb, might be your new iPhone that your realtor gave you. I personally believe the iPhone is the Antichrist. It is scary things I can do with that phone. One of the things I liked about the iPhone that it has an option. And it's called friend to friend. And if you accept my request to be a part of friend to friend, then I can call you any time of the day, any day of the week, and my phone will show me an aerial photograph of where you're at, anywhere in the world, and give me the literal address of where you're at. I'm thinking, what a, what a great way to make sure your kids are where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Then I got to thinking, God has that same system for us. David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I climb and, and hide in a cave in the mountain, you're there. 
the desert, the wilderness, the sea, wherever I'm at, God has an iPhone. And God can type in your name. And if you'll accept that request, you'll never be alone. You'll never be without him. He'll always be where you're at. Always be where you're at. If you'll take what, what represents you and you'll hold it to the Lord. Lord, we used to sing that song, I give my houses and my land. Change my dreams and my plans. For I'm placing my whole life in your hands. If you call me today to a land far away, Lord, I'll go and your will obey. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. Then whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'll be willing to do. I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus for your finances, for your income, for your job, for your stability, for your health. As a father, through your obedience and kindness, and generosity build a hedge around you there would not be cavities there would not be root canals there would not be fender benders there would not be things burnt there would not be nails and tires there would not be audits by the IRS but God would hide you in the shadow of his love and his care that God would breathe in your spirit greatness and you would study to be and study to be approved to do what God has called you to do whatever trade whatever job, whatever opportunity, that you would know that God has got a good plan for your life, plan to bless you and prosper you, not to hurt you or wound you. That God would build a hedge around your income. That every month, every year, every decade, you'd be stronger and stronger and stronger financially. Those of you that are looking for jobs, that he would birth that job in your heart and spirit, make it there when you go to apply for it. Give you a favor from your employer as he did Nehemiah, who took a sabbatical and never went back to work, but spent the rest of his life rebuilding the walls in Israel around Jerusalem. That not only did the king finance and support, but sent his troops protection. The very nation that destroyed Israel was the very nation that paid to rebuild it because of the request of one man. God, let our lives be so simple and allow them to be so pure and so holy that as your steward, as your servant, faithful over all you've entrusted with us, that we could ask you for something and we would receive it. That we could dream big dreams. We could, we could, we could plan big plans. That we could see the future. That we could see the opportunity. That we could see your faithfulness. That from this day forward, things would never be the same. But Holy Spirit would guide us and teach us and that you would trust us with much as we're faithful over much. That you would give us multiple talents and abilities. That you allow us to dream dreams, write books, sing songs, be a light to somebody, be a blessing to somebody. We're asking you, Lord, to finance our end-time ministry. If it's your will, it's your bill. We trust you. Let our eyes be focused not upon ourselves or our needs, but let our eyes be focused upon the fact that great things are ahead for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And they all said, Amen.